It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Let It Marinate Monday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Nick Wiggins, Triple G, joining you on this Monday afternoon. Hope everybody had a great weekend and you know, we call it a Let It Marinate Monday for a reason, folks. And we would love to hear from you about a lot of the things that have gone on this weekend, not only in college football, but the NFL and high school football as well. You can call us at 251-694-1055, or you can get in touch with us via the free Sound of Mobile app. That's a free downloadable app to any Android or Apple device that you may have. And Triple G, when we left here on Friday, we were looking at some matchups that were getting ready to happen in college football and across the SEC. Did not have that on my bingo card that coming into work here this Monday that Jimbo Fisher would be receiving $26,301 per day until 2020-31, part of that $76 million buyout, Nick. There's going to be a lot of numbers thrown at you guys, but $26,301 per day until 2020-31 or 2031 for Jimbo Fisher. And that had to have been the most dominating win to ever get fired off of, right? I mean, you win 51-10. to well, actually, both coaches got fired out of that game. But how do you like them? Apples? I mean, I, I I figured Jimbo Fisher was on the hot seat, but I guess I just didn't expect it to happen after that game. You no. know, you, you got the video going viral of uh, you know, the players hitting that little slide dance move in their cleats. So I'm like, oh, everything must be pretty good out there in Aggie Land, but not not well. I guess it kind of is, right? You you mentioned how much he's getting paid for not having to work. So honestly, it was probably good news for Jimbo. $26,301 per day. And it just so happens that the winner and the loser yeah. of the same exact game are no longer coaching in the SEC. You look at the Mississippi State Bulldogs, four and six overall. The Texas A&M Aggies, six and four overall. I have a problem don't have a problem with Jimbo Fisher being removed as Texas A&M's head coach. I do have a problem with Mississippi State's coach, Zach Arnett, being removed. He's 11 games in. He takes over for Mike Leach, who one of college football's media's dearest darlings with some of the verbiage and some of the comments and quotes he gives you on a week-in and week-out basis. Right. And he takes over under – Tremendous, I guess, circumstances that aren't ideal for a football program when they occurred. 
right during the bowl game and Mississippi State's administration, instead of having a knee-jerk reaction and wanting to save what the, was the recruiting class, instead of just naming him an interim and doing a thorough search and bringing in a football coach, you, you're only giving him 11 games yeah. well, to I, prove himself, not even an entire full season as head right. coach in the SEC well, before and, you get rid of him. And being that in that interim spot, especially, you know, the unfortunate reasons that he was promoted to head coach. I mean, anyone in that situation is going to be put kind of in a short leash, right? When the AD didn't, you're not necessarily his guy that he picked. But I'm with you, man. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say this has been like a season from hell for Mississippi State. I mean, the guy was coming in off super unfortunate circumstances, trying to get his bearings, trying to you know, make some sort of foundation, but he never got the opportunity to. And, you know, I I'm, I'm an NBA guy, but look, I remember when the Hawks, you know, their interim coach was Nate McMillan. Then they had success. They went to Eastern Conference Finals, and then not even one year later, they fired him. You know, just when you're, when you're in that interim spot, I mean, uh, the, the Auburn guy in, who, who came in after Harson, help me out. Right now, Hugh Freeze? No, I'm talking right before him. Gus Malzahn? No, after after he got rid of Harson and Auburn was loving it, he's like... He's Cadillac Williams. Cat, I, I was going to say... Interim. I knew it was the name of a car. <laughs> but yeah. like everyone loved him, right? But, you know, and some people probably thought maybe he should have got some looks sure. at head coach. But Absolutely. no, they did go Hugh Freeze. And probably for a better reason, because if they would have stayed with Cadillac, he would have been on a really short leash. So I think it's unfortunate for the Mississippi State coach, but I think in like the big picture for that athletic director, he's going to actually be able to handpick who he wants. So I think it's just one of those unfortunate things. I would have at least let him ride the season And out. that's what is amazing to me, Nick. I have a tremendous problem. No problem. $76 million. Go ahead. You just show me where the door is, and I'll go ahead and I'll take that door. <laughs> you know, because I'm going to take that bag all the way. To wherever it is you want me to go. But C yeah, is for cookies. Yeah, yeah, you take me that. And, and, and it's just <laughs> frustrating when you look at what Mississippi State has gone through and you switch. The, there's only one Mike Leach. You're only going to have one opportunity to run his type of offense. And unless it's a, a like-minded offense, you are going to be put in a situation where you were going to have to have a transition period. And there's no way you're going to get it done through 10 day, ten games in, really 11 in his career because he coached a bowl game, one game yep. on an emergency situation. I did not like that at all, the fact that Mississippi State pulled the trigger way too early. If you wanted to wait till the end of the season, by all means, wait till the end of the season to do that. But I did like to hear from Ross Bjork. He is Texas A&M's athletic director. And I know yesterday he had a press conference and I was waiting to watch and listen to that. And when he chimed in about the relevance of his program and the decisions, they had to swallow $76 million. They're not struggling over there with oil money with the $76 million. And kudos to the Booster Club for manning up and shelling out that type of money to realize, look, we're not going to waste any more time we're going to go ahead and get rid of them. So two vacancies now in the SEC, and I don't think there's just going to be two. I think there's going to be some more because 
personally, I thought Sam Pittman was going to be on the hook. And then right. he turns around and gets blown out by Auburn. And Arkansas didn't have a knee-jerk knee reaction. They're going to well, wait to see what, and make their decision. I feel like you don't, you can't fire anyone in the middle of a season. Not really the middle. We're getting toward the end of it. Without there being some type of reasoning. Like, I guess I get the Jimbo, even though they did have a blowout win. I get it. But for Mississippi State, it's like, what are you accomplishing by getting him out for these last two weeks? I don't, I don't, I don't I know that. And that's something that I know one of our, our guests tomorrow is going to be able to share with us as he covers the Mississippi State Athletic Program for the Clarion Ledger. But with, with, with looking at what Ole Miss has left on the, on the plate, they have Southern Miss. Coming to town. So you, you you may have won your fifth game there to go five and six. And then, of course, we all know what the Egg Bowl means to the state of Mississippi and the way that Ole Miss was handled by Georgia. Anything weirder things have happened in the Egg Bowl. And that's one yeah. that you literally have to throw the record book out for. So possibly they could have gotten to six wins, which were brought them to bowl eligibility. Right. Well, now, in the app, you know, here's, a, I guess, a pretty good point. You know, they say you do it for recruiting purposes. What? But then You I, do what? Fire your coach this late? See, they're saying they did it to get a jump on recruiting, but who's, who's doing the recruiting? No, here's what you have. You want to get a jump on recruiting. You're still in a situation. You have games left. You're not going to hire a coach. You're not going to name a coach. So you're still having to wait. The yeah, coach is waiting unless he's already on the staff. Can't start contacting right. people yet. So who? Yeah. So who's doing the recruiting? This so guy that, says the transfer portal. Whoever, opens. whoever is named interim at this point in time. Yeah, and, this guy and says the transfer portal opens December fourth. They need to find a real coach to help solidify their recruits and to capitalize on the transfer portal. So, so wait, are we saying? Is Mississippi State going to have their new head coach by December 4th? Here, it, Well, it's quite possible, yes. Let me tell you why. Okay. Because the SEC championship game is December 2nd. You look when the Egg Bowl is right around the time of, what is it, Thanksgiving, maybe the day after Thanksgiving or the day before Thanksgiving that Ole Miss will go ahead and play in that Egg Bowl. I'm going to look at that. It's going to be Thursday. It is going to be Thanksgiving Day, mm. Mississippi and Mississippi State play in the Egg Bowl. So, yes, come November 24th and before December 4th, yes, you can have a, a, a coach in, in named. But uh, once again, what's what's two weeks? Because whoever yeah. you're naming right now can't make phone calls on behalf of Mississippi State. You still have to have an opportunity here to wait. You, If there's another coach out there that you would like that currently has a job, you have to ask for permission, and it can't be tampering. So, again, I wish that Mississippi State would have waited. Texas A&M, Ross Bjork, let, let's hear from him as to why he feels he made the move that he did after a big win by the Mississippi State, excuse me, over the Mississippi State Bulldogs. I determined at this point, and for, for lots of reasons, our program is stuck in neutral. We should be relevant on the national scene. Something is not clicking, something is not working, and therefore something had to give in order for Aggie football to reach our full potential. As leaders, every decision we make or every decision we don't make has consequences. Consistency in how the program operates on a daily basis impacts the confidence level of every single person in the program and thus influences 
performance. Based on my experience, the best programs have confidence, the program has an established identity, the program maximizes the talent, the leadership is fully integrated in the university, the athletics program, and its culture. I did not feel like we were meeting those standards of excellence and leadership. Well, if you're not meeting that standard, it's the same thing that you look at going into the same comment that was made, and you mentioned the athletic director at Mississippi State. Having an opportunity, Zach Selman, he is the 18th director of athletics named on January 13th, 2023. And I know that with him coming in and having an opportunity to say and to fire Zach Arnett, he said the progress and on-field results have not been of the standard required for Mississippi State to achieve the level of success we need and expect. So almost identical to Ross Bjork's statements, pretty much carbon copied and CC'd on it. And I think that one program has a lot more resources than the other. And I look forward to talking to Josh Flowers here locally, who is verbally committed to Mississippi State, to see if this changes his mindset because he wants to become an early enrollee at Mississippi State. And yeah. depending on what kind of offensive coach comes in, it can make a huge difference yeah. in the decision and the factor that you have as to where you're going to fit in as a player. Because you don't want to go into a new system not being recruited, not being shown love by somebody. Here, here in the app, my, my guy Yak Fishing, Yep, he says the recruiting absolutely tanked under Arnett. He was clearly in over his head, and it's probably the best thing for both he and Mississippi State. He made a ton of money from a one-year gig, and having two more losses on his resume doesn't help him at all, and that's almost to be the case by, by season's end. So I, I get that. And another guy in the app says that he finds it comical that A&M thinks they're a national powerhouse. They have always had the money, but mediocre results year in, year out. I mean, I have to agree with the athletic director on that one and not with the app user. A&M has everything they need Every to be. Every resource. To be Everyone. a, a college powerhouse. football powerhouse. I'm talking like you're finishing in the top ten every year, and it's a surprise if you finish outside of it. Right. Same thing with Texas. Texas always had everything it needed to be to always be in that top 10. And for so long, they weren't. You know, you get a good coach in there, Sarkeesian, and you get some good, you, you know, you start to get things clicking. And now all of a sudden, I'd be pretty surprised if Texas ever fell outside the top 10 at this point. Texas A&M has everything they need. I think Jimbo just was never the guy. I don't think you can have a head coach who's the butt of a joke and have your college football team lead to be successful um maybe jim harbaugh <laughs> being the rare exception sure but Corey, i do ask you you know here's this i would say this a&m job opening has got to be at this moment the most desirable job opening offer in it to college Dion. football offer it to Dion first okay see, offer it to Dion coming, first i want to see i want to see if they pull the trigger and Man. offer it to Dion. oh what you're gonna see so much colorado gear at the goodwill though <laughs> i'll tell you that no I, I mean but here it is jimbo fisher for we talked about it last week he had the identical record as kevin yeah. sumlin did and 
Kevin Sumlin was making $8 million less. And Jimbo Fisher, not only is he guaranteed that money, Nick, I'm going to mention it to you once again. All right. $26,301 a day. Man, hey, yo, best job in America is being a fired football coach. Period. Period. At the, there's no, there's not even a question as to whether this is the best job. At, at this point, you have. know, seeing that, and then like the Raiders coach, and then you know, you mentioned Ed Ogeron. At this point, I think we need to start rethinking how we make these contracts for these coaches, right? You can't. All this money cannot be guaranteed. How many? Co- like, I, someone I'm sure smarter than me has done some type of analytics on, like, what percentage of coaches really complete an entire contract every coach gets fired except for like the rare few like that's how it always ends you get fired very rarely are you like going and promoting to especially if you're at a big school you can't really go any further up you're going to get fired eventually right you don't see people retire nowadays that's right it it just doesn't happen here's one of the things and if these 10-year deals are un- unreal, just ask Mel Tucker. I mean, and he's in a situation where it didn't have anything to do with his wins-losses. He got in trouble for off-the-field yep. issues to where they don't even want to pay him right now. But front office sports put up this graphic that I found to be very interesting yesterday. Jimbo Fisher will get paid more to not coach Texas A&M <laughs> than his former quarterback, who we got a chance to see yesterday on the field for the Saints, Jameis Winston, has been paid his entire NFL career. Jameis Winston, a number one overall draft pick in the NFL, has only made $71.9 million in career earnings in the NFL. And Jimbo Fisher is going to make $76.8 million as being fired And Jameis Winston now has had a career in the NFL that spans over a decade. And here it is, his former college coach is getting paid 76.8 to chill. And I I find that number by front office sports staggering, the amount of money. And, and again, do you fault Texas A&M for that? Yes. No, you don't fault Texas. No, you do for sign it for creating the contract in that way in the first place. I guess that's how all the contracts are made. And and you don't fault his agent either. We, we don't fall at, I, 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 at school Sexton. They need to start doing shorter term deals. Maybe you do them more incentive based, you know, finish the top two in your conference. You get this many million this year. Win the SEC championship. You get this much million. Win a national championship. Boom. You just got a $10 million bonus. I would make everything incentive based because then if they hit the expectations you have for, for them, they're going to get that big paycheck, but if for some reason they crap the bed, you're saving some money and, you know, you're not losing too much any money when you do fire them. But, look, when you said – I'm surprised you said Dion. I don't – I think – look, can you imagine if Dion Sanders had that Texas A&M roster? My goodness. But if not Dion, you know, he's a pretty divisive guy. Dion plays Dion ball. He might not play Texas A&M ball, right? Who do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I've been baffled. I, I just have to wait and see. I'm on a wait and see approach. Okay. I'm not going to have a knee-jerk reaction who I feel should be first in line or second in line because, again, yeah. this Mississippi State thing, I, I, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with even though it was 
they were in a transitional period with their athletic directors. And the athletic director who hires you, yes, you still want him be, to be the one who fires you, and that was not the case here at Mississippi State. But I, I know at least give him the courtesy until the end of the year yeah. to, to, to make that move. And once again, Jimmy Sexton, and he, he, he is Nick Saban's agent. He's one of the best agents in the world. He knows how to negotiate a deal. He's going to make you the money. He can play coaches against one another. His own clients he can pit against one another to leverage more money. And at the end of the day, you look at who's the ultimate winner, and that's going to be Jimbo Fisher sitting and, and still able to be hired somewhere else and get paid whatever oh, salary no. they want to pay I, him if too. If I'm Jimbo, I'm hanging it up. I'm kicking my feet up. You know, you've been the butt of so many jokes. Just just enjoy the fortune that you've fallen into. And, you know, Ed Ogeron, I see him out on the beaches with his tan, leathery skin, <laughs> Jimbo. You know, I would just, you know, st start a golf club, go golfing with Ed Ogeron, and, and have some fun with him because I, I wouldn't coach. And if, I, and if I'm Texas A&M or Mississippi State, when it comes to your next coach, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, maybe a head coach from a smaller school that's had some success or a coordinator from a bigger school who's looking to make that jump. I think you definitely need to get someone who is currently coaching. You know, you don't want to go like the Urban Meyer. Ross Bjork is like swinging that. for the fences. That, that there, you, if you think a $78 million buyout is, is something, you, you haven't seen anything with the amount of leverage and weight they're going to throw at whoever they want their number one candidate to already be on their board. Yep. And believe you me, money talks and everything else walks. And I will say this, the Texas A&M Aggies with divisionless football in the SEC want to become relevant, and they want to become relevant immediately. You think they wish they would have fired Jimbo last year and got Hugh Freeze? No. No. No, not, not quite. We'll be right back here on the final drive. Hello, this is artist Daniel A. Moore. You are listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Let It Marinate Monday. And boy, oh boy, is there plenty to let marinate as the app is popping. Give us a call, 251-694-1055. Who would you love to see coach in the divisionless SEC next year? Who's the right man to run Texas A&M's program? Is it a current head coach? Is it an assistant coach? Give us some thoughts and ideas either in the app or giving us a call at 251-694-1055. And who is the right person at Mississippi State? Because it's a Bulldog program in Stark Vegas. You're already at a smaller institution, but a one-and-done factor makes it hard for you to go ahead and establish yourself as a real contender in the SEC and hold on to a lot of these recruits because now that Texas A&M is out of the mix with Jimbo Fisher, you look at Auburn possibly benefiting, Alabama possibly benefiting from a lot of the recruits who may decide, depending on who they hire as the next head coach, it's going to be fun to see. And I know what was fun to see this week 
was the SEC championship game get set up officially. We knew who's going to be in Atlanta. A lot of Alabama fans at the beginning of the year, the expectations were at SEC media days, I picked Alabama to play Georgia for the SEC championship. And here it is, Alabama with a 49-21 thrashing of the Kentucky Wildcats. Jumped on them early and often and didn't look back. And once again, back-to-back weeks, we've had a historic performance at the quarterback position for the Alabama Crimson Tide. One week ago is with the four rushing touchdowns by Jalen Milrow. Against Kentucky, you see three passing touchdowns. You see three rushing touchdowns. You see Milrow go down possibly being what I thought was an injury that probably would have had him sit out. But, man, absolutely love the fact that you have Alabama and Georgia doing battle December 2nd in Atlanta. Kirby versus Nick. It's what everybody wants to see. Everybody wants to see Alabama run the table, beat Auburn. You want to see Georgia handle their business here the next couple of games. They did that this weekend in a big-time fashion, 52-17 to winners over Ole Miss. So it's setting up that classic confrontation. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break here on the final drive, a Let It Marinate Monday edition. member of the Auburn family. When I'm in Mobile, I listen to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Let it marinate Monday edition. And as I mentioned, Alabama punches its ticket to the SEC championship game to play Georgia, a matchup that people wanted to see one year ago. Didn't get a chance to see it. Saw it two years ago, and I know that as a media member, I told you I picked Alabama versus Georgia in the preseason media poll when we were at SEC Media Days in Nashville, and we always love to welcome in Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated. And, Tony, on your ballot, did you see it the same way I saw it, Alabama versus yeah, Georgia? Those are the two best. That, that's the safest route to go, right, is Alabama-Georgia. Yeah. So uh, that's the way I pre- predicted it to start, and that's the way it is. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's it's been fun to watch this Crimson Tide team grow this season, and especially one Jalen Milrow, because you look at the past two weeks, what he's been able to accomplish – from six total touchdowns, three rushing, three passing, no quarterback in the history of Crimson Tide football has been able to accomplish that. Four rushing touchdowns in prime time versus the LSU Tiger defense. Don't care how bad that defense is, he still found a way to get it done. Man, Milrow just continues to impress week in and week out, showing his growth, and I know I didn't get a chance to hear all of Nick Saban's press conference today, but like he told Miss Terry, look, we got Tennessee Chattanooga in Tuscaloosa for senior night. Yeah, I mean, uh, can't say enough about the job that Jalen Miro did there uh, at Kentucky. Uh, he, you know, he continues to do his last two weeks after the bye week. Uh, he's just been great. Uh, four touchdowns against LSU, like you said, on the ground, and then three apiece. Uh, against 
against Kentucky. And, you know, I really just saw them a team is just moving along. Um, and it's really looking like a contender. And, you know, it's all about uh, – maintaining that consistency this week against uh, against uh, UT Chattanooga, which should be an easy game. It's an FCS opponent, but uh, Alabama certainly seems like it's going in the right direction, um, and it's doing all the things, I guess, that you would, you'd want it to be doing at, at this point in the season, and so uh, it's interesting to see, you know, where this team's going to progress after this week. Sometimes, you know, like Nick Saban said, you can take a step back in a game like this if you're not careful. So all of them, uh, you know, even though they're not going to be challenged this week, I think they need to take care of their own business and, and make sure that they can uh, build off their momentum. Yeah, you, you talked about momentum. I think the one of the biggest things for Alabama moving forward is when you look across the country and you see Texas lose their starting running back. You see uh, Brock Bowers come back from Georgia, but you also see other schools have key injuries moving forward. You had to take a deep breath when you saw Miro kind of hop off the field, but these next two games, Alabama definitely has to stay healthy. Oh, definitely. And I don't expect the starters to play all that much in this game. You know, I think maybe get them a half, maybe get them a series into the third quarter, you know, even if that, and then you get them off the field and you get some of these younger guys in. Uh, This game is just about keeping people fresh and uh, getting them ready for the Iron Bowl in two weeks. And then after that, uh, you know, get them off the field, keep them healthy, because yeah, that's a that's a big thing moving forward is just you know maintaining this team. Uh, you know, it's clicking at the right time, and it's a deep team, but you don't want to lose any of your big time stars, especially not when you have a, a game like Georgia where you're going to need everyone healthy. So yeah, staying healthy is going to be a, a big emphasis for this team. Uh, you know, this week and against Auburn, but I think you're also going to need a, a lot to get past Auburn as well. Yes, I mean, that's never a gimme game because it is the Iron Bowl. And let's look at the overall success here of the defense. Once again, Caleb Downs steps up to the plate and plays a phenomenal game along with Terion Arnold being very active. And we'll address that. And behind that, we'll we'll talk about Kool-Aid McKinstry and his shortcomings in the punt return game. Yeah, I think, you know, across the board, the defense was pretty good against Kentucky. Uh, you know, they, they did a good job of, uh, you know, limiting big plays to the air. And then, you know, obviously you had Terry and Arnold make a, a few big force two turnovers, but also on the ground. I think you had, you know, you stopped the running back in Ray Davis, uh, who is one of the SEC's best rushers. And so, you know, to limit him like they did, I think that that just, you know, kind of emphasizes how good this defense is. It's, you know, it, you almost take this defense for granted week in and week out, uh, just how solid it is. It, you know, every now and then they, they give up a, a big play, and sometimes, you know, like even against Kentucky, they did a lot better job than what the scoreboard said at the end of the game. But uh, I can't say enough about this defense. I think, you know, you're never going to have the defenses that hold people to a single uh, digit on a day-in-and-day-out basis, and not in today's game in, in a major conference like the SEC. But – uh, I, I think that, you know, it's a strong unit and it, it's uh, it's definitely championship level. So, I mean, um, you know, between, uh, you said Caleb Downs and Terry and Arnold, I think you, you could also put up, you know, give, give some love to the defensive line, to the linebackers as well for stopping the running game. Yeah, they've, they've done a tremendous job. And let's focus on the O-line for a moment and the difference that the O-line has been making given – 
the, the young quarterback, and I still say young quarterback because you look now at Jalen Milrow, the beginning of the year against Texas, only really making his third career start, and then where he's come now toward this latter part of the season, there was so much grumbling about the lack of blocking, where there is pass protection or whether it was run protection. But this O-line has really stepped up to the plate here. Oh, definitely. I mean, look, the first game of the season without allowing a sack, and that came after only allowing two sacks against LSU. So this is kind of like what we were expecting to see from the offensive line at the beginning of the year, and then uh, they went through all their struggles. Now I think, you know, um, you're starting to see the unit gel a little bit better. Also, you're starting to see Alabama do a little bit of things that, that help out the offensive line. You're seeing those those passes be behind the line of scrimmage, uh, and that takes a lot of the pressure off the offensive line by getting the ball out quicker and, and you know, spreading out the defense a little bit and you know, kind of preventing some of that pass rush. So uh, I, I think, you know, you got to give the offensive line its credit, but you also got to give Tommy Reese his credit for kind of adapting and, and finding things that not only make that not only work for his quarterback, but also work for uh, the offensive line. And, and I think you're seeing a, a new um, kind of diversified Alabama offense that can, you know, beat you at the long ball, but also beat you uh, on some short passes. And it's allowed things to kind of balance out. So, um, you know, it's, once again, everything's looking pretty promising for this unit, um, especially on offense. And from a special team standpoint, I didn't really expect Coach Saban to say anything different on Saturday when being asked about the what I call the yipsies by Kool-Aid McKinstry from a punt punting standpoint. He, he mentioned uh, due to the gunner, it's hard to, to make contact or look in the air and catch a football and be backed upon with the gunner coming down the field also. But it, it's been one of those ongoing issues so far for the Crimson Tide where the Kool-Aid has not fielded a punt and let it get in deep into Alabama's tor territory or just fumbling a punt in general. Are you surprised that Coach Saban has not made a change or does he really love Kool-Aid that much and have that much confidence? Because we know what type of speed Kool-Aid has once he does catch the football. It's just a matter of catching it first. Yeah, I'm surprised just because, A, you know, Kool-Aid's such a – you know, big part of his defense, but it's already a risk having him on um, punt returns. Now, if he's doing what he did last year and he's returning, you know, 15, 16 yards per, per return, that's his average, then, yeah, it's worth having that risk. But when he's consistently messing up or making mistakes, it's just not worth that risk of having a, a possibly your most talented defender uh, back in a position where he can take big hits. So, you also have guys like Isaiah Bond, like Kendrick Law, that could do that punt return duty. It kind of is surprising to see that Alabama stuck with Kool-Aid so far. Um, not saying that he can't do it. It's just like the risk-reward of, of what's, you know, been happening doesn't seem like it, it fits. I think, you know, Alabama's got other people. And, uh, you know, if I, was, <laughs> if I was the coach, I think I might move on from Kool-Aid. Not really as much because I don't think Kool-Aid can do the job, just but because I don't want to get him injured. And if he's struggling at all, that's enough excuse for me to move on to the next guy. Um, because there's other guys that can do what Kool-Aid can do. Uh, and not to say that you'd run Isaiah Bond or Kedrick Law to, to be injured. Both of those guys have been really influential lately. But 
I think when you look at the impact of this team, Corey McKinstry is, you know, one of the absolute stars of this team. So um, losing him would be really tough. I just, with his struggles, I just think uh, it might be time to, to move on to another punt returner. But then, yeah, I'm not Nick Saban. I don't get paid to make those decisions. And we all saw what uh, Kool-Aid could do when he gets the ball in open space last year. So, um on the same hand, I mean, I'm not totally shocked that Nick Saban stick with his guy because he doesn't want to do anything to, to mess with Kool-Aid's confidence. And obviously, Kool-Aid proved last year that he's capable of doing this job. Updates given today, maybe on Ja'Cory Brooks or Jermaine Burton. Uh, kind of shocked to, to not see both of those dressed out for the Crimson Tide. And I know a lot of people were asking about both of those wide receivers. Yeah, well, Ja'Cory Brooks is dealing with a shoulder injury. It seems like he's going to be out for a little bit. Um, he wasn't really making much of an offensive impact on this team anyway, so um, as, as big of a receiver as he was for Alabama the last year, he just hasn't had that role this year. So um, I'm not sure about his return time, but um, – I guess the one that's really missing in the offense is Jermaine Burton, and he was just sick. I would expect him to to be back. Uh, you know how much he plays against Chattanooga might depend on you know just how he's feeling, but I think he'll definitely be back by the the Iron Bowl. Um, it's not like any kind of you know muscle injury or anything like that. He was just he woke up, he wasn't feeling well, so. Um, as far as injuries go, I mean, it's not even really an injury, but as far as setbacks go, it's not the worst one to have. And, you know, it's good to hear that he's not going to be out for a long time moving forward for Alabama because Jermaine Burton is definitely one of the big play guys and one of the dependable guys to get the ball on third down. And he's going to be a big part of the, the offense moving forward. And I know Coach Saban at his press conference today also had a chance to chime in on the on the two coaches who are no longer employed in the SEC, one being one of his former assistant coaches and a coach who really a couple years ago really ripped him in the open and Jimbo Fisher when he called coach a narcissist. And that kind of, I know that their friendship, you know, goes beyond the football field, especially during their time there at LSU, but also coach Saban talking about Zach Arnett also. Yeah, I, I, anyone that was expecting Nick Saban to dance on Jimbo's grave or, or say anything negative about Jimbo, uh, you know, that, that that was never going to happen. And I think that they still have a lot of respect for each other. I'm not sure how much those comments back and forth kind of frayed their friendship, if at all, but it seems like they're okay. And, uh, it, of course, Nick Saban's never going to want to see that happen to, you know, someone he respects. And he respects both of those coaches, and so – um, yeah, I think, you know, the comments from Nick Saban today are kind of what we expected to see. Um, it, it's a business. Nick Saban knows it's a business. And uh, while he never wants to see that happen to someone, he, he kind of understands how things work. I think Jimbo understands how things work, and so does uh, Zach Arnett. You know, so uh, I, I think both of you know, especially in Jimbo's case, $76 million. I think he's doing just fine. Uh, you know, it's a kind of a bummer uh, to, to be fired, but when, when you get $76 million out of it, I think you can cope pretty well. <laughs> so, um, you know, moving forward, I just uh, be interesting, you know, does, does Jimbo Fisher join part of uh, Nick Saban's, uh, you know, coaching staff as an assistant? I, I, I would say definitely I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but um, 
you know, I, I expect both those coaches to land on their feet, um, especially Jimbo Fisher. He'll get another opportunity moving forward somewhere else. Tony Sakala is joining us this afternoon, managing editor for Tide Illustrated. Tony, appreciate your time and your work as always. And our listeners, if they want to go ahead and tune in and find out and more information on a daily basis about the Alabama Crimson Tide in preparation for the 230 Iron Bowl that's going to be on CBS here in a couple of weeks and as they prepare for UTC, how can they get all of that great information that you provide? Yeah, the site's tideillustrated.com, or you can go to alabama.rivals.com. You can follow us at Tide Illustrated, or you can follow me at Tony underscore Sukalis. Tony, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you again next week about the SEC Western Division champions, the first ever SEC Western Division champions, and the last ever SEC Western Division champion, Crimson Tide. Thank you so much, Tony. All right, thanks for having me on. Tony Sakalis joining us this afternoon here on the final drive. And that's right, folks. When you think back to win the SEC Winter Divisions, Alabama wins that first ever SEC West Division Championship. We'll talk to George Teague about that on Wednesday, about his thoughts about that, and then sealing the deal against Kentucky, becoming the last SEC Western Division champions before we go to divisionless football here next season. The final drive on WNSP 105.5, Corey Bounty and Nick Wiggins. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Saran Stacy. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. It's a Let It Marinate Monday edition here. And once again, there's plenty to marinate on for sure. And I know that whether it's the firing of your two SEC coaches, whether it's Alabama and Georgia punching their tickets to the SEC championship game, whether it's Auburn getting things in gear offensively and really revved up to make a wonderful Iron Bowl here in a couple of weeks. Today on the show remaining, we're going to talk about the Crimson Tide hoops and football program. We'll talk to Roger Hoover, who belongs to the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Love hearing from Roger. We're also going to talk to Mike Haas about the New Orleans Aints this weekend. And we have a caller on the line. Caller, welcome to the final drive. Corey, let me drop a little nugget on you here. Uh, just talking to Tony Segalis there about the Tide. First of all, I'd like to say that uh, I really think that Kevin Steele is your runaway winner for the Frank Boyles Assistant of the Year Award, the job he's done with that defense. Uh, let, let me mention one thing here and marinate on this. Yeah, going to be quick. We're coming up Just, on a break. All right, Justin Aboye. In 10 games this year, 47 total tackles, eight and a half tackles for loss, and five sacks. In his previous career at Alabama, that's 42 games, he only had 59 total tackles, four and a half tackles for losses, and two sacks. That's the difference between Pete Golding and Kevin Steele. Absolutely so. right. I agree with you there, Chuck. Plenty of productivity there with limited reps 
and maximizing and making adjustments as well, the difference between steel and gold. And if you don't believe me, just look at the final score for Georgia and Ole Miss. Glad he's gone, to be honest with you. Lane Kiffin can deal with them. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Roger Hoover, Crimson Tide Sports Network. More about it and Alabama punching their ticket to the SEC championship game next on the final drive. The Sound of Mobile presents For the, win. the final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yeah. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Dick Wiggins. On 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable. Welcome to hour number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins join you on this Let It Marinate Monday. And boy, oh boy, plenty to marinate about coming off of. High school football on Friday, college football on Saturday, the NFL Shockers yesterday. And don't forget, tonight we have another Monday night matchup for you, Denver and Buffalo. And I'll go back to the fired coaches that, that we saw yesterday and this morning. You, you could kind of see the Texas A&M firing getting ready to come in some shape, form, or fashion. Didn't think it would be after a big win for the program, but if you're going to leave, you might as well leave with the win underneath your $76 million belt. And then you look at Mississippi State, really a new athletic director comes in and is not the one who hired you, but he is the one who fired you and showed you the door. And I know that those changes in the SEC will be evident. But let's look at the, the changes in the SEC this past week. And it's going to go back down to Jaden Daniels being the best player in college football right now. If you don't disagree, if you disagree with me, call right now, 251-694-1055, and tell me right now who is a better player in college football than Jaden Daniels. So and is that your Heisman Trophy winner? Right now, he is the Heisman Trophy front runner, without question for me. And you, you can go the route of Penix Jr. at Washington. You can go Bo Nix at Oregon. You can go Maserati Harrison at Ohio State. But the front runner, to sit there and look and see what one Jaden Daniels did this weekend, un heard of and unbelievable what he was able to accomplish and it was just fun to see anytime you're able to have 372 passing yards and then follow that up with 234 rushing yards yeah that's unheard of has not happened in the history of college football so three losses be damned I, yeah. I don't well, care if you have three losses. And you know, you performing week in and week out, Nick. When when Lamar Jackson won his Heisman, I think he was on a three loss, four loss Louisville team. I think the RG three Baylor teams. You know, that was about a three or four loss team. So, you know, there's certain players that, based off their performance, you you're able to overlook the record and. I think the way that Jaden Daniels has been playing this season, and with no one else, I feel really being too, you know, over the moon 
I think you have to give it to the guy. Because, I mean, as if LSU had a, compar- a comparable defense that could play at least to an average level, I mean, we might be talking about LSU competing for an SEC championship or a playoff spot. But because that defense is so horrible. Nick, who did you pick in the preseason media poll to win the SEC West? LSU. Oh, you picked LSU. Yeah. Because, you know, look, they had, they have Perkins, right? Yeah. You know, he was ranked in the top five players in college player. football. An elite defensive player. He is. He but is. then they started, instead of having him as an elite pass rusher, they started trying to have him play a little more around the field and coverage. And, you know, that secondary, they bring in some people out the transfer portal. They haven't clicked. They're not working out. It The offense looks better than I would have anticipated. Jaden da- Daniels has played way better than I have anticipated. But, unfortunately, that defense just can't get it together. Brian Kelly made some comments in his press conference on yesterday about what he's never seen before in the history of his coaching. And when you start looking at what he's never seen before in the history, and that's, that's a lot of football that Brian Kelly has seen. And, yes, he understands that they've lost three games, but when your head coach is your biggest advocate and these are realistic numbers that he's putting in week in and week out. Let's hear from Brian Kelly. Two years of coaching, have you seen a quarterback like Jaden in terms of his running ability, a guy that can go 85 yards up the sideline? And just- no, never. I mean, his ability – look, usually those guys tire out, you know. I mean – Smokey the Bear jumps on his back at about 30 yards and that lactic acid kicks in and then they're gone. He kept going. Um, He's a phenomenal athlete. Um, He's the best quarterback in the country. He's the best uh, playmaker in the country. He's the best player. Now, uh, I've seen – I've watched them all. you know, he, he is the best player. You can can say whatever you want. Well, we're 7-3 and and, you know – whoever else is undefeated that doesn't mean anything what matters is who's the best player he's the what matters is who's the best player so is it based on who is the best player not on the best team even though that helps with the numbers you just mentioned an example of such as uh, Lamar Jackson or such as like you just mentioned Robert Griffin the third So I don't think that you necessarily have to have and be on that winning team. You definitely got to have a winning record. You you don't have to have that winning record. You You can't be like, well, you can't be five and seven. Brother, you can be five and seven and put up those type of stupid numbers week in and week out, and you're still going to be in contention for a Heisman. I don't know about that. Five and seven, like at that point. Well, let's just be realistic. LSU has three losses. Florida State. Where are they ranked right now? What, four? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and you look at Alabama, where are they ranked right now? Eight. Ole Miss, before they got the doors blown off of them against Georgia, where were they ranked? Ten. So doing it against quality competition. That's and true. And you take away the second half. 
three losses. It easily could have been a fourth to Missouri. Easily could have been a fourth. But put up video game numbers. So, Nick, don't put losses, wins, and losses. Look at productivity. It I helps you. when you I, win. I just think there's got to be – there's a cutoff point. There's a cutoff point. Not for this dude. Not like for this dude. If Jaden, if if a Not guy was dude. putting up 300 passing yards, 150 rushing yards, on a one and eleven team, you're not gonna give that guy the Heisman. Listen, he can lose to Texas A&M, and it ain't gonna matter. It ain't gonna matter. Still give the dude the Heisman. Yes, he's gotta play Georgia State. Right. And that's who they're going well, to see. And I think it's you know it's got, it's a redundant point because if there is a player that's that elite, they're gonna have a winning record. You know, as horrible as LSU's defense is, because of how amazing Jaden Daniels is, LSU only has three losses. So when there is a player that elite and is you know that Heisman type candidate, there's no way that you can really even have a losing record. I don't think. I don't think he would allow you to. He's willing LSU right now, yep. and what he's the numbers that he put up this weekend were were super duper spectacular, super duper special. And no matter how you look at it, you tell me someone else who you would put in front of him that win the Heisman right now, Bo nope. Nix. No, nope. it's Jaden Daniels. I think I don't have a problem giving the Heisman. He would be who my pick is. Um. Now I'm curious who else, like do you, do you still put Caleb Williams in there? No, Caleb's gone. Caleb's cooked. His productivity, his numbers aren't video game numbers any anymore. If they were still video game numbers, then you could look to USC and say, "Hey, here's a team with four losses that I still think has a chance to do some damage." But his numbers have not been spectacular. They haven't been super duper extraordinary. They haven't been to the point to where it makes you say you need to have a back-to-back. -back. I mean, I, I, I like Milro right now in front of Caleb Williams when you look at it, and you can't sleep on Carson Beck because, to me, he's the quiet Heisman Trophy candidate. Yeah. You look at what Carson Beck has been able to continue to accomplish. I love it. You ask someone in the app says, give the Heisman top five. Number one is Jaden Daniels. To me, number two is going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. Number three is going to be Bo Nix. Number four is going to be Michael Penix Jr. So and then number five is going to be Carson Beck. So that's your five? That's going to be my top five right there. I'd probably go with the same. I might – I don't know who I'd put instead of Beck. Um – off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything. So you else. you have you have Drake May, you have JJ McCarthy, you have Marvin Harrison Jr. You can go Caleb Williams, you can go Bo Nix, you can go Jaden Daniels. Yeah, for me, I th it would be definitely Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, and Penix. Those three, I think, at this point, are locks into the you know being invited out there to the ceremony. Do they invite four or is it three? Three will definitely get that invite. All right, well, then those three for sure. Those are the locks. Da so Daniels, Knicks, Penix. You like you like what Bo Nix has been able to continue to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, looking through for like, what, 400 yards, four touchdowns yeah, against USC? They've so. got they, – yeah, he, he, had, he had nice numbers to begin the game. And you have – they're going to play Arizona State this week. And Arizona State's three and seven. So he has a chance to absolutely torch – the Sun Devils 
for real. I mean, you, you they're just called the Sun Devils. He has a chance to to let the sun shine in that situation. And then you look at Oregon State versus Oregon the day after Thanksgiving. That's, to me, where Bo Nix and a lot of people put in their Heisman Trophy nominations prior to that. But uh, I think that you have to wait prior to the conference championship games. You, you do look at Oregon State and Oregon. I want to see what Bo Nix's last opportunity is going to be. I think he'll get an invite. You've seen the billboards in New York, deservedly so. You've seen the billboards on the West Coast promoting him because Oregon has a lot to do as far as from a promotional standpoint, especially being backed by Phil Knight and Nike. So, yeah, Bo Nix has, has earned his stripes this year for sure. Yeah, I mean, he'll be there. Um, I would maybe even give him the edge over Penix a little bit, honestly. Um, I mean, because, you, look, you're in a head-to-head matchup against the guy who won the Heisman, and he basically double his stats. I mean, look, Bo Nix, and let's just talk for a second about the transformation of Bo Nix. Remember when he played down here at Auburn, and he just was a pretty mediocre, yeah. lackluster type guy? And then, you know, I think Auburn fans, some of them were hap- you know, happy. Like, all right, we got rid That's of this guy. what they call guy. the bad Bo Nix yeah. syndrome. Got rid of bad Bo. And now he's out there, potentially. I don't think anyone had him as a potential NFL guy. But because of how he's been playing, I mean, he's going to be on an NFL roster. I don't know he's going to start or anything. but I, I, had him, I had him as a as – a, not necessarily as a Heisman contender, but I thought that he could be drafted to play in the NFL. I wasn't ready to throw Bo Nix away because yeah. I saw the potential potential from him in high school that carried over to Auburn and the system that, especially when he hurt himself, you knew it was like, okay, bad Bo Nix is going to be gone. And he needed a scenery change. And that scenery change was the best thing that could have happened to him and for him. And now you look at the success that Oregon's football program, they're reaping the benefits of a very good quarterback that I think that he may not be a starter in the NFL, but look, if you would have told me here that Tyson would have been the starting quarterback in Chicago, I would have said you're nuts. Right. Uh, It just is not going to happen. And it normally does not happen the way that it has happened for some of these guys. But someone in the app says bad bow was a product of Gus and Harson's offenses. And I don't, I don't, you know, definitely Brian Harson's offense. I think he could have been successful in Gus Malzahn's offense. But you do look at Bo Nix now trying to punch that ticket to New York as one of the leading candidates for a Heisman Trophy. And, and again, don't sleep on Carson Beck because if he continues to put up solid numbers, I think that a lot of people are going to say that's when you look at the undefeated and the winning record and what he was able to do without Brock Bowers. And Brock comes back this week and continues to produce college football this week. I know a lot of Alabama fans were looking for the shakeup Saturday and no favors were done there. But Texas losing their starting running back with a torn ACL and Ewers not being 100% healthy, having the shoulder issues that he has, that's tough too. Yeah. I'm not ready to say Fiducey says some mock drafts have Knicks going in the top 10. No, I don't think Bo Nix is a top 10 quarterback. I don't think that. I think he'll have a chance if he gets a senior bowl invite 
and accepts that and comes and competes here in the Reese's Senior Bowl and has a great week, I think his draft value can increase. But as far as him being a top 10 quarterback coming out, no, sir. I can't see that. Yeah, top 10 pick, that's high. Now, I know that Caleb Williams' stock is dropping, you know, as the days go by. I'm sure Wendy's is <laughs> wishing they had another guy in those commercials at this point. But, I mean, look, I don't know. It, it, it seems like I don't see Bo Nix going uh, drafting in the top 10. No, he's not going to go in the top 10. You just got to think there's other positions that need to be drafted. Yeah, that's, right? that's not going to happen. I think for Bo as Nicks. good as Bo Nix has been, I still think Caleb Williams gets drafted ahead of him. I, I I would if I'm an NFL executive, I'm going Caleb Williams ahead of Bo Nix yeah. as well. And I, I know when we come back here on this other side and we did hear back from Roger Hoover, he had to reschedule with us. And we'll, we'll talk more about there, there was no shakeup this Saturday in college football. We'll talk about that and touch on the robbery game between Florida State and Miami and what could have been in a shakeup Washington finding a way to beat Utah we'll talk more about that we'll also talk about Jim Harbaugh and the comments that he made today we actually got a chance to hear from Jim Harbaugh in his press conference so we'll talk about that we'll also talk about the NFL the New Orleans Saints turning back into the Aints losing to Josh Dobbs you can relate as a Falcons fans you 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 got the Dobbs factor a couple Josh of weeks Dobbs, ago man He's, he might he might be a legit quarterback. I think he is. He's getting it done so far for the Minnesota Vikings. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bo Manning, my co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide. You're listening to WNSP 105.5 Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on a let it marinate Monday edition of the final drive. And you can keep those comments in the app coming as far as who do you think is a better quarterback out of Bo Nix and Caleb Williams and Drake May. That's a discussion that is ongoing in the app. And the fact that we'll see Mel Kuyper predicts possibly four quarterbacks in the top 10. I, I just not, I'd see value needed at other positions for other teams outside of that right now well, as far as from a top 10 standpoint you did, you, you did, didn't see you know you look at the value at quarterbacks this past year and what's been producing whether it's cj stroud or bryce young and, and you look at tyson Bage and all the other quarterbacks will levis now getting his shot at tennessee from a top 10 uh, standpoint to, to, also to argue you know the devil's advocate point yeah, maybe you yeah. know there were three quarterbacks drafted in the top ten this past drive. Anthony Richardson, who played really well till he got hurt. Right. Which Will, many thought would be Will Levis instead of Anthony yep. Richardson. And Will Levis, he ends up dropping all the way to the second round. Correct. And Will Levis is looking really good, you know, in his small sample size. Sure. I will say, oh, let me ask you this. Is Bo Nix a better quarterback than Will Levis? Is Bo Nix a better quarterback than Will Levis? Yeah. In terms no. of? no. No. See, I think he might be. No. I think Bo Nix this year is better than Will Levis was his last year no. at Kentucky. No. You don't think so? No. Hmm. Again, you, you you get ready and you see 
that, first of all, you have to have an offensive line that, that's fairly decent in the NFL. I mean, the Oregon is, Oregon's definitely a better team than Kentucky. Yes. So Bo Nix has a lot more to work with. But I don't know. I, I, I know this. As, as far as looking at the help needed and the new AP top 25, Texas holds what they have. Florida State, they went ahead and had a great game with Miami. That's what you expect to see out of rivalry games. You don't want to see blowouts. You see Jim Harbaugh not coach on the sidelines. And we talked about on Friday, you knew an injunction was going to be filed in order to try to get him on the sidelines here for Michigan's remaining last couple of home games. But Coach Harbaugh, when I think about speaking of the NFL and America's team, Nick, yeah. we all know who's America's team in the NFL. They tell me it's Dallas. It is the Dallas Cowboys. But Jim Harbaugh said there, there's an I, I America's team. I argue that it's the Chiefs now, but – no, I still say it's going to be the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, but Jim Harbaugh chimed in today about who college football's America's team is. The perseverance, you know, and then the just the stalwartness of these guys. I mean, yeah, Watson, I would have to say, I mean, everybody. It's got to be America's team. It's got to be America's team. America America loves a team that, that uh, you know, beats the odds, beats the adversity. You know, overcomes what the naysayers and, you know, critics, so-called experts think. Um, that's my favorite kind of team. And, yeah, watching it from from that view on the television, I, it was finally people get to see what I see every day. I like Jim Harbaugh, but I I think he might have a little, a, a bit too many yes men around him because I do not think Michigan is America's team. It's obviously Dion and the Colorado Buffaloes. Yeah, yeah, that that would be not America's team either, <laughs> Nick. Uh, Who's America's team, Corey? You want to know who America's team is? I know it's not Alabama because a lot of people don't like Alabama, so it can't be them, but who is it? America's team is Army, Navy, and Air Force, my okay, friend. Okay, okay. All right, yes. Yeah? How about that? You ready mean, for that one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good one. There you go. That's America's team for you, Nick. I'll say, but, all right, in terms of, <laughs> I don't even know how to I know you don't because I came off quick. You didn't expect yeah. me to be that quick off the top no, of my head off you your question. You had it. No, you had it. You had it locked nah, and See, that, that, that's when that's the quick comeback. Yeah, that's the nah, quick wit on America. Let it marinate Monday. One. No, that's right. That's you, right. Now, see, if you would have said, think about it before the commercial break, I, it, yeah. it would have been a true let it marinate Monday. Right. B but because you asked me that quickly and put America's team together, I I'll tell you those three teams. Okay, okay. And, and, and top 25 was, that's exactly what you get out of out of them. But, yeah. no, I, I mean, th those comments by Harbaugh, ultimately I do think judges are going to rule in his favor, and we will see him roaming the sidelines for Michigan's last two games. The, the little slap in the wrist, I mean, 24 to 15, Penn State behind their lack of offensive production. They fire their offensive coordinator, Nick. He gets shown the door, and we're talking about being nine games in or ten games in to Penn State. Coach Franklin said, I've had enough. So, Mike Urich, you're going to be shown the door, and it seems to be going around.
right now. We, we must be coming with some hot takes here in this segment because they're saying we're looking, we're sounding like Cheech and Chong up in here, man. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Well, I, I know, I know this. What's going to be going on next is we'll have an opportunity to talk to Mike Hoss from the New Orleans Saints, the voice of the Saints, coming up next. Hi, this is Cornelius Bennett, three-time All-American College Football Hall of Fame, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to a Let It Marinate Monday edition of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hope everyone had a very productive weekend, and it was a weekend in which we saw our South Alabama Jaguars get back on the winning side of things as you look at them being able to come away with a 21-14 win over Arkansas State and the Jaguars one game away now from becoming bowl eligible. They're 5-5, five and five, taking on Marshall this coming Saturday, who is also 5-5. Five and five. And as we continue to, to talk from college football, moving on to the pros, we do have Monday Night Football tonight. The Denver Broncos taking on the Buffalo Bills. And as we heard and tuned in to right here on WNSP 105.5, we're the home of the New Orleans Saints and love hearing the voice of the Saints every single Sunday. Mike Haas and Deuce McAllister on the call in Minnesota and did not go the way a lot of Saints fans had predicted, hoped that the Saints would have been able to put three wins in a row together to go ahead and continue their lead there in the NFC South standings. And it wasn't to be as the Minnesota Vikings and Joshua Dobbs, who didn't even know which way to go when he got off the elevator to find the locker room in Minnesota, was able to have a a great first-half performance, and Mike Haas joins us. Mike, it wasn't the beginning that that hurt or that the Saints wanted. It's the end that you wanted as far as fighting back, but hate it got to that point for the Saints to be that far behind in this game early. Yeah, I agree. This whole second-half thing has probably gotten a little blown out of proportion because of the way that the first half has gone but to me. Josh Dobbs might not have known which way to go when he got off the elevator, but I can assure you every decision he made in the under pressure with sacks coming at him, every decision was the right one. I mean, everyone. It wasn't that the Saints didn't have pressure, didn't get a hand on him, didn't do this. He was uh, enormously elusive. And to me, that was the difference. That alone was the difference because a lot of those passes that he makes, he doesn't make because they, they're, they're, he has to punt the ball or, or third and 20, but they just could not finish. They couldn't finish. I mean, that's the, the end result offensively, defensively, specialty. They could not finish. And that's what's unfortunate for a lot of Saints fans. And the frustrating part for New Orleans Saints fans, you know what you're capable of, and you sit there and you look at the score 24-3 to at halftime. You're saying that's unacceptable football. That's not the way that the Saints are capable of playing, whether Derek Carr is in the game or not. And then you have Jameis Winston to the rescue, and he comes off the bench. He's excited, and he's hungry, and he plays a, a great game to start the second half, and then all of a sudden now 
You see him in the game with a couple of interceptions that you know that he would love to have had back. But the Saints had a little life with Jameis Winston and the, the football gods give it and then they take it away. Yeah, I mean, he he had clearly opportunities. I mean, I think when they had the, the ball the last two times prior to the Hail Mary, to me, is when he didn't need to go as deep, you know, go for the, you know, the game winner. Just at that point, Minnesota was playing on their heels. At that point, Minnesota had become so conservative offensively. I'm not sure they could have turned it back on. Um, and those, it was just like at that point, you had good field position, just methodically go down the score. Now, you still needed a two point conversion, but for some reason, that's been the best play the Saints have. Alvin Kamara caught one, ran two. Um, but yeah, you can't get in that position. You can't be down 24 3 at halftime. And those 21 points that Minnesota scored in the second quarter were not. Uh, because of a turnover, because of a flip of the field, because of good field position, because of turnovers or some penalties involved. But that was just them beating the Saints. At the point of attack, on the line of scrimmage, 21 straight, T.J. Hawkinson had, you know, 128 yards at halftime, 10 receptions, 12 targets. Um, I mean, it was it, – it, it, it wasn't easy, right? But certainly at times Minnesota made it look easy, at least in the first half. Yeah, I was surprised that Taysom Hill didn't get the call at quarterback. And I know that you do have Jameis Winston over there for a reason. And I, I think that he'll be a great X's and O's coach and a motivator. And he did do some, some good things there with the two touchdowns. And you look at the two interceptions that he did have. But were you at all surprised that you did not see more of Taysom Hill in the first half for the Saints, especially when the Saints got hit in the mouth there in the second quarter? Yeah, I was. I mean, but then that seems to kind of be the M.O., if you think about it, that we will see Taysom, you know, 12 carries, 11 carries, 9 carries, lead the team in rushing, and then the next week might have a couple of receptions. So I, I can't say that it's. I was totally stunned by it. I don't understand it in any capacity. I'm, I'm of the ilk, and this is just me, that I'm going to run Taysom early, and see if they can stop it. And I'm going to keep doing it until they stop it. But, you know, that's that's not always the case. Now, once Jameis came in, I think that changed everything, right? Then I think you, you're not going to put Taysom, who's your number three quarterback, uh, probably in that, you know, quarterback position, running position, QB power position. But in that first half, now, again, they didn't have the ball. I think they ran eight plays in the second quarter. Eight. So you didn't, your defense was on the field an enormous amount of time. You were playing catch up. And even though I, I thought they'd run the ball, uh, you know, effective, effective enough in the first half, they didn't have to uh, abandon it. Even at 24 3, I don't think they really had to because they were running it uh, pretty well. But I am surprised, and I'm always surprised when I don't see Taysom early because I want to know if they can stop it. If they can stop it, let them stop it. He had one carry for six yards. 
I, th- I think that deserves another carry. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, you know, with my Atlanta Falcons dropping that game, their Super Bowl, as they deemed it, to the Cardinals, you guys are still in the driver's seat for the division, but you guys might be at, without Derek Carr for a couple games. I'm not sure what the injury he sustained was. Are you guys going to be having to roll with Jameis these next few games? It's hard to say. Um, we're both open, right? Atlanta's open this week. We both have buys in week 11. So, uh, you know, we'd ask Coach Allen a couple of times, you know, hey, would this be, you know, uh, uh, when's a good time for a buy? When's not a good time for a buy? And as it turns out, week 11 after that Minnesota game is by far the greatest time for a buy. Coach Allen said it's really not going to be uh, – Derek's shoulder, shoulder's fine. It's going to be a concussion protocol, but he's got two weeks. Most players do not come back first week. Um, they just don't. Uh, second week, typically, yes. So uh, the Lattimore, Mike Thomas injuries, I think, are, are more significant. He couldn't say uh, season-ending, didn't believe they were season-ending, but was talking about second opinions and you know that they are significant injuries so i would not be uh surprised that if one and or both of them at least spend some time uh on the four game ir i mean again that is supposition but you didn't get a you didn't get a real warm fuzzy positive feeling from coach allen today talking about mike thomas and Marshawn Lattimore. With Derek, you did feel a little better because the shoulder doesn't appear to be an issue, not that a concussion is anything not to sneeze about, but because they're off, uh, we'll have to wait and see how he comes back, not this week, but next week. Well, when you do look at Chris Olave being targeted nine times and and having those 94 yards, I know that we've talked numerous times about the frustration of Alvin Kamara when the offense sputters and is not able to get it in gear. And I know that, you know, the screen passes and the quick passes and letting him fill up space are important. But the to me, when you do look at the Saints, it's not really necessarily offensively as well. It's defensively and the amount of pressure and sacks that have not been able to be produced by this defense. That's something that I know is something that they have to find a way to get not only pressures, but actually to to get some tackles for loss and to get some sacks on the quarterbacks, especially after Thanksgiving, being full of turkey. You mentioned the, the rest this week, the bye week, coming at a great time. But I know the Saints would love to have an opportunity to, to, to really get after the quarterback defensively of the Atlanta Falcons. Well, they're, they're going to have to prove to them, to anybody, that they can better corral a running back, a quarterback that has running back tendencies. Ryan Tannehill, not a problem, right? But look at who they have faced who have, you know, the ability to run the football when needed. Even Trevor Lawrence, who was supposed to have a bad knee, you know, did a great job. Tyson Bagent, any quarterback that has that ability, um, you know, that, that can run the ball, Gardner Minshew. I'm not talking about, like, like a run-first quarterback. I'm talking about a guy that has done exactly what's hurt the Saints the most, and it's not run-first. It's the escapability 
the elusiveness, and then the ability to either pick up the first down or keep the play going long enough to complete the pass. That's what's killed them. And I really can't even say that the Saints didn't do a pretty good job of getting pressure on Dobbs. But getting pressure and getting him down or getting a sack or getting a pass defense is a whole big difference than just getting pressure. And they have not proven to anybody, themselves included, that they have the ability to keep a quarterback who's not a run-first quarterback but a run-second quarterback, uh, you know, in control. That is what has hurt them the last – even though they've won two in the last three, those, those runs uh, have hurt them so badly uh, in the last few games – and as you look forward, I don't know who Atlanta is going to have, Desmond or, or, or Heineke, uh, at, at this juncture, but, you know, have the same kind of ability to, to, to pull it down and run and, and go from there. But they haven't stopped it. They haven't stopped it at all. I'll say this. Desmond Ritter, he's fast, but he does not have the pocket awareness like a Josh Dobbs does, or maybe even a Tyson Bagent, truthfully, to m- maneuver like they can. So... I, I, and look, watching Josh Dobbs against you guys and the week before, he might be up there as one of the best in the league, honestly, in terms of pocket escapability. I mean, because I mean, he, he just I does it like anyone I, else. How did he lose? I, I haven't looked. How in the world were they 1-7 in Arizona? I like, it seems to me with his kind of, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. how they, I feel like I mean, he's not Kyle Murray, but from what I've seen in the last two weeks, you know, I'm stunned that okay. uh, that they weren't able to win more games uh, in, in the early part of the season, and they were without the players too. But it's it's not that even in the Atlanta game, when you look at that fourth and seven and the 22 yard run, he could have gotten sacked twice, yep. twice, yep. and the game's over, over. I know. And, and look, if you're, you know, if you're Minnesota, you know, Kirk Cousins is right here at the end of his contract. I mean, you honestly. Dep- might have to consider maybe Josh Dobbs might can be a viable option moving forward. To I mean, he's undefeated as a Viking, and I feel like he's probably just now starting to get the first names down. You know, I agree. I mean, I think he's a, it's 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 definitely it's it's without question a conversation. Kirk Cousins at his age, kind of not not as old as Aaron Rodgers, but coming back from that kind of injury, and you know, it's always kind of been a love-hate situation with Kirk for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, boy, it, it feels like automatically in two games, now that things can change, it's just Dobbs' job to lose. I agree with you there, Mike, and I know you'll be able to to take a little rest for the bye week that the Saints do have upcoming this week, and like you said, it's a much-needed time for Saints to heal and find themselves getting ready after Thanksgiving for the Atlanta Falcons. And, Mike, thank you so much for the great job that you do, win, lose, or draw for the New Orleans Saints. And we love hearing you right here on the home of the Saints on WNSP 105.5. I appreciate it. we got a big, big stretch run coming up, seven more games, four of them at home. So we'll see how things go, but I appreciate it. Mike Haas, the voice of the New Orleans Saints, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. John Reschetti, give us a golf update. 
when we come back here on the final drive, a Let It Marinate Monday edition here on WNSP 105.5. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive. It's time now for our golf report brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, Engineered Products and Services. John Rachetti on the line with us. Rachetti, what's going on in the golf world, my friend? Well, I tell you what, uh, I tell you what, Cora, we need to get rid of this rain or let's what I call gloom and doom weather the last few days. But uh, hopefully, we you know we had such a great run with some great weather for so long, and uh, we're just gonna have to we're gonna have to just wait a while and wait this out and get back on the golf course. But uh, the PJ Tour was in action this weekend in, in beautiful Bermuda, and uh, we got a. Camilla Vijegas. This is a great story, Corey. Here's a guy that has not won in nine years. Uh, when he came on tour, he's from Columbia. When he came on tour, played at the University of Florida, was a, a can't-miss prodigy, had some great runs early, early in his career. Uh, but the last nine years have not gone too well, especially the last few years. And he was dealing with a personal note. He lost his daughter at at, just at the age of 20 months. Uh, a real sad story, and uh, you know she had brain cancer, and uh, you know wasn't a good thing. It really hit home real hard with him and the family, obviously. And his game has struggled, but it looks like he's found, uh, you know, he's found something. He played great last week in Mexico, and now this week. Uh, Familia Vajegas gets the W, and uh, he moves up into, I think he's 75th now in the FedEx Cup point standing, and they've got one more event left in 20, in this calendar season, and they'll play at Sea Island this week, So, and that will conclude the PGA Tour season. So we got a lot, you know, obviously we're going to recap that tonight, uh, get a little Tiger Woods update, as apparently he's been practicing real hard, still no anticipation when Tiger will make his will make his return, but from indications that I'm getting is that he's working on it and he's, he's, he's a little more, he's not as banged up as he once was a year ago, so maybe we'll see Tiger Woods a little more. On a local note, I want to congratulate the Mobile Light Scratch Tour team this weekend in the Light Challenge Cup for defeating the Florida team this weekend at Steelwood Golf and Country Club, and hats off all to all the players, the local players on Light Scratch Tour, and that concludes the 2023 Light Scratch Tour season. So that's pretty much a wrap in the world of golf, Corey. John, I appreciate you so much and look forward to your Miller Lite, John Rochetti's golf show every single Monday following the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Keep the umbrellas and rain boots out for the next couple of days and let them swing away on Thursday and Friday as the rain's supposed to be moving out, my friend. Oh, that'll be good. John Rochetti joining us this afternoon and coming up here on the 5 o'clock hour. We're going to be joined by Daryl Daprich to break down Auburn Tigers' huge win this week offensively over the Arkansas Razorbacks, and we'll see if that big-time win was one of the nails in the coffin to another SEC coach. So 
We'll talk with Daryl Daprich next about the Auburn Tigers here on this Let It Marinate Monday edition of the Final Drive. The Sound of Mobile presents for the win, the final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable. Welcome to hour number three of the final drive on this Let It Marinate Monday edition. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you. We want to thank everyone for having us tuned and locked in, whether that's on your radio or on the free Sound of Mobile app that you can download to any Android or Apple device that you may have. And crazy football went on in the NFL, crazy football that went on on Saturday in college football, but it's pretty much for the Auburn football fans trying to get back on the winning side of things and have not really been able to have a season with six wins or more since 2019. And especially now that the Auburn Tigers are bowl eligible, spanking the Razorbacks 48 to 10 coming alive offensively, playing their most complete game offensively and defensively of the season. Daryl Daprich contributed a locked on. Auburn joins us this evening. Daryl, how's everything going, my friend? Man, it's going well. I, I think, uh, first of all, <clears throat> thanks for having me on. I hope you had a, a good weekend. It was a really good weekend for Auburn athletics. Uh, you know, not only what Auburn was able to do on the field, with Arkansas, and I know we'll talk about that, but some of the recruiting aspects as well, uh, some, some players that committed and flipped. So all in all, I think that, you know, you nailed it. It was the most complete game Auburn's played in, in quite a while. And I know that there is that narrative out there and there's a lot of noise about it being Arkansas. And I totally get that. I just think that Auburn hasn't had a complete game like that on the road in the SEC in a while, even against a group of five school at home, you know, Auburn has not what I feel like put together a complete game. And when you talk about special teams, defense and offensively and balance on offense, Auburn was firing on all cylinders uh, Saturday. And I think that is the right time of year to be hitting their stride. I agree with you about hitting their stride. And you mentioned recruiting being a huge aspect for Auburn moving forward. No better electric atmosphere than what the Auburn Tigers have a chance to present. 230 Iron Bowl being officially named the next two games. New Mexico State is going to be one of those teams Auburn's favored to beat by 23 and a half. It's a 3 o'clock kickoff again, and then that's going to be followed by that 230 Iron Bowl kickoff at Jordan-Harris Stadium, the, the last regular season game to ever be broadcast on CBS. 
as far as the SEC is concerned, but recruiting with Jimbo Fisher being out, you now look at Cam Coleman and a focus there for the Auburn family to to try to reel him in, a five-star wide receiver that he says his recruitment is still open, but he remains committed to A&M right now. Nick, let's try to get Daryl back on the line with us here. And Auburn, again, their most complete game of the season versus Arkansas. And you look winning 48-10, to 10, Peyton Thorne throwing for three touchdowns, only that one interception, which was huge. And Jarquez Hunter rushes for over 100 yards. Again, for, I do believe this is the third consecutive contest that he's had over 100 yards, and that's a, a great sign. Not distributing the football to 12-rod receivers the way that Peyton has done over the last couple of weeks, but I know that Auburn's defense and offense and special teams, when you score 21 points in the first quarter, you're looking for a situation of dominance. And before we lost Daryl Daprich there. We were talking about Cam Coleman having his commitment still open and his recruitment still being open, even though he's verbally committed to Texas A&M. But it's an open door now for Auburn to show him a lot more love. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Corey. I think that the first thing that everybody that was an Auburn fan kind of took stood up and took notice when the news came out that Jimbo Fisher got fired was the Cam Coleman situation. You know, a wide receiver class with Bryce Kane and Malcolm Simmons and Perry Thompson and, you know, still hopes of flipping a Ryan Williams and him reclassifying. If you were to get a Cam Coleman, I mean, this would just be an historical, historical wide receiver recruiting class for Auburn. So, you know, hearing that, that Auburn's back in the mix as well as Florida State, um, Florida State is also uh, – being looked at close by Cam Coleman because of, of the uh, Jimbo Fisher firing. So that could, and don't forget too, you know, the, the transfer portal situation where now they have 30 days to jump in the portal starting yesterday, uh, Texas A&M, Mississippi state players, anybody that fires their head coach, there's that, you know, that clause that they can do that. So if you're looking for some, linebackers or defensive linemen or offensive linemen, I think that until they hire a coach, uh, it could be some, you'll see some guys get in the portal for A&M as well. It's that time to where Hugh Freeze has made it known, even in his press conference after the game on Saturday, he's looking for some defensive guys. And that being said, four-star edge DeMonta Waller flipped his commitment from Florida to Auburn. So that's one of those prospects that Coach Freeze, without being able to say his name specifically because of NCAA rules, he definitely hinted at, I'm looking for some defensive guys too. Yeah, that was a big flip. I mean, as you mentioned, Coach Freeze mentioned in, in his press conference about a win like that and hopefully adding an edge rusher or getting some more guys like that. And Jamonta Waller from Mississippi, uh, some, some uh, you know, rating systems have him a four-star, some have him a five-star. Uh, big flip. It, it kind of been in the works for a while, Corey. Been hearing about that, the buzz on that since the old Miss game, the Auburn old Miss game that he had kind of privately was, was talking to Auburn about switching his commitment. 
And, you know, you know it as well as I do, edge rushers and guys that can and create havoc in the backfield along the line of scrimmage are very coveted in the SEC. Georgia's made its living that way. Alabama has made its living that way. So getting guys like that is big, and getting him to flip for this 2024 class, um, you know, Auburn shot up a few more spots. They're now 16th uh, with hopefully getting a couple more commitments. You get a guy like Coleman, you can end up being a top 10. More importantly, officially, Auburn bowl eligible. And I know that's been the focus and the concern there. And I know that moving forward, when you look at a, an opponent like New Mexico State, you don't want to have those letdown games. You want to have the pedal to the metal and handle them the same way that Auburn started its season like it did against Massachusetts, just playing with the offense, being able to stay healthy and produce early that way you can get some guys some rest and backup guys some quality reps also yeah that, that's the big thing is you know always talking about not only getting bowl eligible before you play new mexico state getting that out of the way at this point now you can just really improve your bowl position and your bowl standing it doesn't look like mississippi state's going to make a bowl arkansas is not vanderbilt is not it, it's touch and go on whether or not Florida is. They've got two tough games left in um, Missouri and Florida State. And so, you know, if, if if the pecking order changes, Kentucky right now not as desirable, I think, as Auburn with them trending up and the way the Auburn family travels, um, you've just got an op. Texas A&M with the question mark with their coach, uh, even though they have a better record than Auburn, they could slot below Auburn. So you take care of business Saturday against New Mexico State, go into the Iron Bowl 7-4, and four, have a good showing. You know, Auburn could really have helped itself two, three, four slots uh, as far as the selection, as far as uh, bowls. And as you mentioned, the extra practice is huge for a lot of these young kids and a lot of this recruiting class getting extra reps, especially the receiving room needs a lot of extra practices and a lot of extra reps. Keontae Scott remains solid there from a punt return touchdown standpoint. Something Auburn hasn't had a lot of this year, but they have had a lot of steady production from Alex McPherson, who continues to be one of the great constant factors in the special teams play. And I don't know, Daryl, if we lost him again, Nick. And if we if we did lose him, that's okay. Uh, he must have a bad connection there. So, Nick, I, I know that 48 to 10 winners, Auburn over Arkansas, that is huge when you look at Auburn becoming bowl eligible, being 6-4. and four. Getting a little shaky in your boots over there with the Iron Bowl coming up, Auburn peaking, it being played in Auburn, Auburn kind of having that fuel to potentially poo-poo on the party of Alabama's playoff hopes. I, I said this, that Auburn coming in would, if Hugh Freeze was able to find nine wins, he would be the national coach of the year. Now, if you're able right here at six and four, you, you're expected to beat New Mexico State, which would give you that seventh win. You beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl, and you go to eight and four, and you ruin Alabama's opportunity to play 
for a national championship because all Alabama fans are hoping right now is that they go ahead, beat Auburn, beat Georgia, and it's a wait-and-see approach, right? So with that being known, Auburn, nothing to lose becoming bowl eligible and playing their tails off in Hugh Freeze's first opportunity to experience the Iron Bowl. So you, you said nine and three. You think he'd be in the head coach or a coach of the year conversation? You think? Oh yeah. Winning if this he would have won Bowl, nine games, he would he would have definitely been. You don't think winning this Iron Bowl would be enough? No, a little too late. No, who, not who do not you enough. Have in that Even coach of the year because you had to you had to have that Texas A and M win. Right. You had to yeah, have you, can't you just know have one good win. You had to have that one quality win there in the meat and potatoes of your schedule. Who, who, and who for whatever that reason, that wasn't year. even going to happen. Who is in that coach of the year? conversation for you maybe uh Eli Drinkowitz yes in the SEC and, and even you I mean, know he plays every team even when he loses I mean they play hard you, you you have to you have to respect what Drinkowitz has done you also have to respect the job that Nick Saban has done yeah you can't you, Is you, Nick you can't overlook in a position where he can't ever win a coach of the year award again you know no, sometimes I, you like hit that peak and you just they can't give you another award. Uh, I I feel like he might, like you know, us down here, watching him with a, a magnifying glass. We all can recognize the amazing coaching job he has done from where they were at the beginning to now. But I do feel like the national voters, they'll be like, oh man, look at that South Florida game. Oh man, they lost to Texas. You know, oh man, they barely so. They they barely beat Arkansas, so I don't, I don't know if Nick Saban uh, is gonna is gonna get that award this year. Um, but I I do think Drinkowitz isn't bad. I mean, what about you know or the Oregon coach? I mean, they look amazing. They Washington's do. coach. I mean, I I always feel like the coach of the year has to. It never goes to the guy who. Well, let's just keep the it in the team. SEC. Let's just keep it in the SEC. Okay. Because yeah. that that's where we won't go national as far as it have been a no-brainer if you sit there with nine wins for Hugh Freeze to win national coach of the year if you're able to find nine wins in your first year at Auburn. But in the SEC, as far as your, your coach of the year, uh, when you sit and you look at the standings on how you want to go about doing it, Kirby, even though he's looking at a three-peat, they're not going to – it's going to be that Georgia fatigue, just like it's the Saban fatigue as well because after Nick Saban's won six national championships out of those six national championships at Alabama, I think maybe you win Coach of the Year once out of six national championships. So yep. I know we do have a caller on the line to the call to the final drive. Caller, welcome. Hey, Cord, man, I don't know if one of y'all drink, but y'all sure are sipping on some strong stuff if you do today. Talk talk to us. What what we got? What what, what are we sipping on today? Peyton Thorne is Hang not going to be Alabama. Are you running on a treadmill okay, right can't, now? They can't, what? Are you running on a treadmill? That's his blinker. Hey, man, got to always stay in shape, brother. I can, do, I can multitask. <laughs> well, my ears can't, so if you'll pause it, that'd be great. All right, I'll pause it for you. But hey, man, so they're not—they're not going to beat Alabama, okay? They're just not. Alabama's going to beat the best quarterback they're going to see this year in Jane Daniels. They beat—you uh, know—they beat Jackson Dart, who gave—you uh, know—who who 
gave LSU a shootout, scored 50-some points on them. And, hey, I'm going to go back to our point we're talking about Friday. You're talking about Alabama's playoff opportunities, okay? Sure. Now, I'm going to pose this question to you about your head-to-head battering so much, right? All right. So let's let's say we're going to work on hypotheticals. Let's say if Ole Miss would have beat Georgia the other night, okay? Yeah. Now, does that mean, according to your theory of head-to-head, does that mean that George that Ole Miss would have would have been ranked behind Alabama? So, if according to your theory, if Ole Miss beats Georgia, they can't jump Alabama and they can't move up in the poll because Alabama owns the head to head. That's the point that I was trying to argue all day Friday, man. He he says no, Georgia would drop all the way to make sure they're behind Ole Miss, right, Corey? No, no, absolutely no not. Way. Wait, you see, we said that if Ole Miss would have beat Georgia. No, I, I said I'm not dealing with hypotheticals because that, that's not going to happen. Not if no, I told no, no, you the other no, day, so if if and buds were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. We're talking about Texas getting over Alabama, Alabama being left out. No, Alabama so has, to, day, has to win out. So at the end of the day, Oregon is ranked ahead of Texas and Alabama. The Oregon's best win is against a lackluster, unranked USC team. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, if we're gonna, if we're not going to take resumes into account, let's go back to making cupcake schedules and let the fans start complaining in. Don't play any tough out of conference schedule because then you're you're getting punished. I mean, that's the smart way to do it. Well, I, I know honest. that so, you you can't when you let, look let, at let, what's let, in let, front let, of us let, for Oregon. Schedule, First ranked opponents versus Alabama. Let's look at Georgia's schedule against Alabama. Let's look at, I mean, you name it. Let's look at Oregon's schedule. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense, these rankings they are going past in some of these theories. It just doesn't. You, you, you look at Oregon right now being ranked number six. Oregon has to take care of business and beat Washington in order to give themselves an opportunity because now it's like, okay, well, we played Washington and we lost at Washington. But if we get a chance to play for the Pac-12 championship against Washington, we're going to look at what not the final score is but the most recent loss. So I think that that's what the committee is going to have to deal with from – a, a one loss or a zero loss program it's, because it's basically a guarantee that either Ohio State or Michigan is going to be in the playoff. That's a guarantee. One of them's in. Yes. And then it's a guarantee that either Washington or Oregon is going to get in. They're, they're going to be sitting pretty. Yes. It's going to be five one or the other because yes. you know Michigan or Ohio State would drop down. So it'll be for matter of fact, unless something really crazy were to happen. Ohio State or Michigan, Oregon State or Washington, that's two of your spots. Florida State is looking pretty safe, so that's three. So now it's a battle for that last spot basically between Georgia, Alabama, Texas because the other teams getting in kind of knock the other people out of that contention, right? I know at the beginning of the, of the year – you know, my decision to have Georgia and Alabama both in was based on and predicated upon Alabama taking care of Texas and, and running the table and being undefeated up until the time where they played Georgia in the SEC championship game. And once that theory for me, as far as for me picking my final four in the college football playoff, once Alabama lost to Texas, regardless of whether it would have been by double digits or by one, 
on a lot last second field goal, that was not going to matter because now you're looking at how else can Alabama get in. And with Texas continuing to succeed and have a lot of success, now you're looking at Florida State continuing to remain undefeated, probably playing Louisville in the ACC championship, which will be easy for, and I say easy, Louisville struggled against Virginia on a Thursday night. So on any given night, anything can happen in college football. That's why you call it Shake Up Saturday. And you have Ohio State and Michigan playing one another still, and hopefully you'll have Oregon and Washington playing each other one again. And Texas, when you look at Texas, Texas is like, man, we're in the driver's seat if you ask us because the, the who who is going to beat us outside of our loss that we've already had in the Big 12? And you look at the Big 12 standings right now, as it goes today, Texas and Oklahoma State would be facing one another. Well, let me, let me you know, we have a caller uh, coming up, but let me ask you this. You know, this is the question that I posed to Jake Crane that he found laughable. Sure. And that and somehow on Friday we did a little freaky Friday <laughs> where it was like I was trying to argue Alabama in, but if Alabama beats Georgia okay. in the SEC championship okay. and Texas doesn't lose the rest of the season, are they without it? Texas a, is in. Because of the head-to-head, Absolutely. no matter what. Absolutely, no e- matter if what. Alabama beats Georgia 42-10. to 10. Doesn't matter. All right. Not going to matter. Caller, welcome to the final drive this evening. Go right ahead. Hey, I, 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 I disagree with one comment y'all, uh, y'all were making okay. about the possibility if Oregon beats Washington that they're guaranteed to get in. You'd be looking at both of those with one loss. Assuming Texas wins out, they have one loss. And regardless of what happens, with if, if obviously if Georgia wins, they're in. But if, if Alabama beats them, then you have Alabama with one loss and Georgia one loss. So you got five one-loss teams. Right. I think they have to go look at strength of schedule to some degree. And see, you I would think, think they Oregon would be looking at that now. guaranteed just because they beat Washington that they're going to be in. You would hope that that's, they would be looking at that opinion. now. But but they're not, and that's part of the problem that Greg McElroy was speaking on last Wednesday after these college football rankings came out, or last Tuesday night. When you look at overall resume versus what you're dealing with, I, I know Greg McElroy was very adamant about resume versus the eye test. Well, and, and with, you know, I, I do think Oregon would be guaranteed in because Ohio State and Michigan, they will beat one another and – therefore clear up the spot for if Oregon were to beat Washington, now they're sitting there four or three. They're already over Texas. And if Texas is always going to be over Alabama, no matter what, no matter how the rest of this season goes, they won the head-to-head. And I'm not saying I agree with this, but this is just how it's looking. If Texas is always ahead of Alabama and Oregon is already ahead of Texas, and then they get that nice quality win by beating a top four team at that point, Washington, then therefore Oregon at that point does have the most recent quality win, even if Alabama were to beat Georgia because Alabama can't jump Texas. Right? Am I, did I kind of cover all the bases there? The bases are, are definitely covered because 
realistically, right now, how many undefeated teams do you think you're going to have going into this? It's either going to be Michigan and or Ohio State undefeated. Yep. One of the two. And then Florida State. Florida State should be able to run the table. Two and maybe three if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship, which I think they will. And they came out today as a three-point favorite. If, if Georgia wins the SEC championship, that, that would be your third undefeated team. Yep. And so then you'd have Georgia, FSU, and let's just say Michigan. And then it would either be Oregon or Washington, whoever wins out of their, that, their you know, uh, rematch. So, I mean, honestly, when you break it down like that and with, man, like Texas just being right there one spot ahead of Alabama just really puts a kink into the Alabama controlling their own destiny narrative because it's looking like it might be pretty tough for them to get in. Jordan Drew says the head-to-head -head versus Texas will be irrelevant if they beat number one or number two UGA. See, that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of thinking, but man, people aren't it's looking like they're viewing it differently. That's that's why we love the app. That's why we love for you to call. Give well, us I'm the scenarios. You, Jordan. I'm kind of with you, Jordan. Give us the scenarios. We love to hear from you. 251-694-1055. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the final drive. Got a short little segment here. And then coming back on the next one, we'll open the phones back up to you guys. But Man, I'm, Corey, I'm looking at this app, and I'm wondering where were these guys at on Friday when I was trying to argue this point that now seems like is the popular opinion, but Friday it definitely was not. You know, Jordan saying Texas beat Alabama when they were ranked number five, and now you're saying that number seven Alabama beating, you know, number one or number two Georgia doesn't up Texas in the ranking is crazy now. Our guy, Jake Crane, you know, of Crane & Company, he basically thought my hypothetical saying that exact point was laughable. And then I was even more surprised that my crimson-colored glass-wearing friend, Corey, agreed with him. I agree with Jake Crane. I still agree with great Jake and, Crane. And I just can't believe that just because you beat I mean, it's like I get it head-to-head, head, but if that is such a true statement, like there's going to be potential issues, maybe not this year, but in the future where like in, in, in the same way with Ole Miss beating, if Ole Miss were to beat Georgia, and I know you say if if and buts or candy yeah, and nuts, yeah. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever, but, you know, play ball with me here. If the head-to-head -head is this – hard rule if Ole Miss were to beat Georgia does Georgia immediately go behind Ole Miss in the ranking because Ole Miss can't be higher than Alabama and Alabama can't be higher than Texas so is Georgia all of a sudden the eighth ranked team I think a lot of it had you know when you look at it you should evaluate this on a week-to-week -week basis. And what do I mean by that? Opponent by opponent and week-to-week. -week. And it's going to be great to have a 12-team college football playoff next year. Yeah, that'll, that'll clear up a lot. 
it'll it'll probably bring up more issues because you know that 12th ranked team. Oh, the 13th ranked <laughs> team's gonna be pissed. everything we're dealing with now in and the lobbying. top four. We're just gonna drop it back 10 spots. It'll be the same. Yeah, it's gonna be the same argument with more teams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, exactly. you're just gonna take half, almost half of the top 25, exactly. or your college football playoff top 25 and how you want to match them up now it's basically a guarantee that every one lost team is in but i do like the fact with the 12 teams now they're thinking about changing the format there instead of having six and six going to a different seven and five yeah how maybe when we come back you can break that down yeah that, that's really something that's that. that definitely i think is going to be looked at and changed in regards to the 12 team college football playoff next year thanks for tuning in to a let it marinate monday edition of the final drive we'll be right back college football nfl talk next hi this is luis gonzalez former south alabama jaguar and major league player you're listening to wnsp mobile Welcome back to a Let It Marinate Monday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. And before we went to break, we were talking about the 6-6 six and six college football playoff format next year. And what they're thinking about is making it a seven at-large berths and five automatic qualifiers. So... If that's going to be the case, it's something that they're going to go ahead and vote on here within the next couple of weeks. But there's a lot of commissioners, including SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, who does not like that what? idea. All right, so the six and six, I mean, that's just six teams on each side of the bracket, right? No, it's not six. And it, it matters when you look at who is your conference champion and who's coming at large. The number of at-large teams versus the automatic qualifiers who win their conference because okay. we're shrinking conferences. We're losing conferences. Yeah. Pac-12 is, you know, no longer the Pac-12. So what is it not? So what you're what you're looking to do is change there. it from a six and six format where you have six at-large and six automatic qualifiers to changing that format to where you're reducing the amount of automatic qualifiers and conference champions. So seven and five instead of six and six. So are, and are it's something that is not approved yet, but is going to be changed here, uh, you know, over time. And I think that... So are we not just taking the top 12 teams? N no, you, you taking, can't... taking, like, who won your conference? No, you, you, that's, that's why this format uh, is so critical to vote for within the college football playoff expansion. I, because you have to have a format to where you want to... How do you determine it? Because... Uh, I feel like I'd rather just be take the top 12 at the end of the year. Doesn't that seem simple? Sometimes out of the top 12, when you look at your group of five and your power fives, that's when this David versus Goliath format comes into effect. Because yeah. what happens here is if you're only going to have one SEC champion. Right. All right. So if you do you want one SEC school in this college football playoffs or would you like to have two and possibly a third? There will always be two or three. At the end of the year, is there not always at least two or three SEC teams in the top 12? When you expand to 12, you have to depend on how you're going to vote on it from a college football conference champion standpoint. So that's what they're I mean, debating. right now, I mean, it's not like the college football playoff is like, all right, there's always going to be one S The SEC champion will always be here. And if you the, win the, it, the way it's set up now, if you win the SEC, you're going to be 
playing for a national championship. That's not true. Because what if Alabama wins it? No, no. How would you? You didn't hear what I just okay, said. Okay, yeah, explain. It's been set up to where if you win the SEC, you are going to play. You tell me a team that has won the SEC championship and has not played for a national championship this year. If Alabama wins it and Texas doesn't lose another game, is this the last year of this format? Yes. That's why you have absolute chaos on your hands. And that's why my buddy Tim Brando says the fly in the ointment can always come in. Last year, TCU was that fly in the ointment. Nobody wanted to see TCU, TCU see, I'll, a I'll year disagree. ago. TCU earned their right to didn't be say they in didn't earn it. I said nobody wanted to see it. Yeah, but who are we to say if, if they won the enough viewer, games? The, the they viewer, beat Michigan. Again, the viewer, you sit and you watched what generates money. It's it, it's those that how many eyeballs are on it, right? How many eyeballs are watching TCU versus Michigan? Had it been Alabama in there or another Power Five school in there outside of TCU? I'm all for the underdog. I love the underdog making it. That's what makes NCAA March Madness great. But when you don't have that opportunity, then you just don't have that opportunity. I mean, look, and this hasn't been um, updated yet, but I mean, if Based off the last college football playoff rankings that came out, this was before, you know, Ole Miss lost to Georgia and Penn State lost. I mean, this would be an elite 12 teams, you know. Oregon State at 12, Louisville 11, Penn State 10, Mississippi 9, Alabama 8, Texas 7, Oregon 6. I mean, you know how it goes from 5 to 1, but. The possibilities there of next that. year are going mean, to be fun and up for there, debate. I mean, would the argument be like, and yet this is off last week's playoff ranking. Yeah, they haven't it, came out it, yet. But it's it's going to be, be like, great. oh, why is Missouri fourteen and Oregon State's twelve? Is it, that the argument? The, the the debate is always going to be there, no matter whether yeah. you have a two team system, a four team system, or a twelve team system. It, there's going to be debate, and you can say Alabama fans, to me, are going to be pretty upset at the end of the day. If there's not shakeup in front of them so prior, based off the to five it. seven, you're saying like five conferences champions automatically get in. Is that am I hearing that right? Seven and five is what the format's going to be. So, so who, you you would have five conference champions yet, and you would have at large bids as well. See, but so could that potentially be? I mean, like what are like what are the five conferences? SEC that one I get. Big Ten, that one I get. Well, you had the Pac-12. There is no Pac-12. Right. Like the so Big that, that's 12, where that's where things are getting you're a little dicey. Me the there. Big Twelve conference champion gets in, and Texas and Oklahoma aren't even in the Big Twelve no more. You know, Big Ten, Big Twelve, you know, Pac-12, SEC. You start looking. I don't know. At what your Power Five conferences are, and your Group of Fives, and the way you get in. With this conference realignment, that's why it's wreaked havoc on the way that they're going to determine how you go six and six or seven and five. Yeah, see, and, and, and I feel like with the conferences changing as much as they are, right? Yes. Like the Pac-12 all of a sudden is gone, and they're saying, "Oh, Florida State and Clemson might want to leave the ACC." ACC, so with that's all your the, other Power I feel Five like conference. With this in this climate of everything changing so frequently, I, it seems so weird to me that you would make like this hard rule that based off conferences when conferences are changing literally by the month. I guess that's why you go to the table and you, you go ahead and you, you get a vote on it. But one, one thing is for sure while we're talking about college football, I absolutely love 
anything I can hashtag 251. And we've got a lot of local players here that are doing some great things in college football. You look at Colby Blunt playing at Bellhaven. He is Bellhaven's all-time leading rusher now. Colby Blunt prepped at Davidson High School, so we want to make sure we give props to Colby Blunt, Bellhaven's all-time leading rusher. And also want to give props to Jermaine Skull Brown being UAB's all-purpose leader in yardage. All-time all-purpose leader, nice. Jermaine Skull Brown. That's hard to do when you look at going to a school like UAB or Bellhaven and all those famous names that have come in front of them. And here it is. We have two local guys who are really doing some great things on the collegiate level, and I'm very proud for them and of them for what they're able to do and what they've been able, how they've been able to accomplish some great things outside of leaving Davidson and outside of leaving St. Luke's to where they continue to make it very viable to see hashtag 251 considered to be across the country. And, and yeah. Nick, Jermaine Skull Brown, UAB's all-time all-purpose in yardage, that, that's, that's, that's big. Yeah, that's big time. I very mean, that's, significant. That's a record book. I mean, that's, you know, in, your name's going to pop up again when somebody gets close to breaking it, you know, at any point in the future. Anytime anyone from our – uh, city or you know the Baldwin County area can hold a record like that you know and that's going to hold for a while because that's not a record you can break quick no no it's that's not, not it's something you hold record. on to right also you have an Aeneas Williams semifinalist from Southern University Kristen Davis is also he prepped at Baker and he's playing for Southern Jaguars, and he's an Aeneas Williams Award semifinalist. And then you look at Chris Abrams Drain at Missouri, someone we talked to at SEC Media Days, a Chuck Bednarik Award semifinalist. And I, that goes to the most disruptive player in college football to me from a, a defensive back standpoint. And congratulations to him. So you, you have four guys right there that are on the map. Kristen Davis, Chris Abrams, Drain, Colby Blunt, along with Jermaine Brown, all representing the 251 right. and, in this area. And look, speaking local, man, you know, we had all those magnificent playoff games on Friday night. My alma mater, the MGM Vikings, getting their first playoff win in the history of being a school. And I know you were at that game yeah. and that got down to the wire. You know, MGM, they've been really blowing out their opponents, but they really had to work to get that first playoff victory. And I know they're excited to advance through the playoffs. Love the history that's being made. And as we're talking college football again, the, the story of the day has been Texas A&M and Mississippi State firing their head coaches here the last couple of days. But also, don't forget Monday Night Football tonight, Denver and Buffalo. So you'll still have a chance to end a wacky season. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about, we talked Saints and Minnesota, but some of the other games, Cleveland coming back and beating Baltimore. How does that happen? Uh, unbelievable yeah, that was, fashion right there. There's a lot of wild NFL games. Yes, we'll, we'll talk and wrap up this Let It Marinate Monday edition of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. 
Hi, this is Juan Pierre, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to a Let It Marinate Monday edition of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Want to thank all our great guests, Tony Sakalis, along with John Rachetti, Mike Haas, the voice of the New Orleans Saints, Daryl Daffrich for the brief time that we had him, along with thanking everyone for having us locked in a very debatable discussion here in regards to who should win the Heisman Trophy. Is it Jaden Daniels or is it Bo Nix? Topics, topics of discussion in today's app, along with Bama versus Georgia in the SEC championship game. I'd love to, to see that. And we didn't get a chance to talk a lot of NFL, but Mac Jones flat out getting benched. And he stinks. his backup comes in and throws the interception off a fake spike. Did you see nice. that fake spike? Bailey Zapp, yeah. Nice guy, but he stinks too. <laughs> it was a tough loss for Bill Belichick, and I think they're just going to be in a total rebuild mode moving forward without they, him as the head coach gotta, next year. Yeah, so you do think they get rid of Bill. Yeah. I, completely I think start fresh, I think, is a good call. Yeah, start start fresh right there. I know that'll make Michael Brauner real happy to, to start fresh, but that was one of the weirder things that I did see in the NFL, along with Cleveland coming back and beating Baltimore. That was not supposed to happen. How about Houston? To me, D'Amico Ryan's coach of the year through yeah. the halfway point right now? Uh, at this point, it'd be hard to argue. Not, I mean, maybe you could make the argument for the Vikings coach. Nope, you cannot. One win last year by Houston. One. And you're on top, and you're you're, you're leading Buffalo in the, in the standings right now to make the playoffs. Yep. You beat Buffalo head-to-head. No, it's not even close. The Mick O'Ryans, NFL yep. coach I mean, look, of the year CJ right Stroud, now. man. He and C.J. Stroud, he, do you put him up for NFL MVP right now, the way he's playing? That's he played better than Joe Burrow yesterday. That's what people are saying, man. And, like, Mahomes' stats aren't too eye-popping. Nah, he just Jaylen, doesn't have a great wide receiver. Jalen Hurts, I think, is taking a step back from how he played last year. If C.J. Stroud somehow finds a way to keep throwing for 350 yards and a couple touchdowns every game and making these amazing fourth-quarter drives, I mean, it's definitely a conversation. He's easily the rookie of the year oh, right now. Oh, yeah, by far. It's easy. No, but No question about that. MVP candidacy, that's something I want to look forward to a little further. And we'll have Monday night football results for you tomorrow here on the final drive. We'll discuss where we think the college football playoff rankings are are going to take us. We'll also hear more from Nick Saban and Hugh Freeze and their press conferences that they had today and scheduled to join us tomorrow. We'll take a trip out to Mississippi State in Starkville. Stefan Krasnick scheduled to join us. We'll be talking football with Scott and Tracy on the Chavis Furniture Talking Football segment. So want everybody to tune in tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Be safe. Have a great night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.